Hi everyone. Hello. Good to be back. Um, yeah, I'm sorry about last time. Um, I've had a, a, an electrical problem in my heart for quite a while and uh, they've got the technology now apparently to fix it. Well, they did. And, uh, and so I had planned a week out. Um, but then they did one procedure and they found, and then I had all these problems and they found another one. So they had to do another one. Hence I couldn't come. But I've all been rewired successfully now. So, um, yeah, uh, and I'm no longer on any of the pharmaceuticals I used to use to control it. So it's a wonderful thing, this modern technology, isn't it? And that they can actually do stuff like this. I haven't got a pacemaker. I didn't have open heart surgery. Um, when you're a bit public, everybody thinks, <laughs> you know, they said, oh, David's had a heart attack. And um, I've had a lot of calls, and but I've also had a lot of people praying for me, which is fantastic. So thank you for your prayers. Um, and hopefully uh, no more electrical problems. You know, this, this topic is, is, a, is a challenge. Um, when we look at the world, we see a lot of suffering. Uh, we're confronted with wars that, that cause terrible devastation and death and um, homelessness and uh, destruction of economies. And then uh, we see famine, which is often the result of a war or it could be um, a drought or the lack of resources. Um, much illness and then big one now despair and psychological issues and depression you know the biggest reported problem that we um, that we know now through our chaplains and through the work we're doing in schools is that um, anxiety biggest reported problem in in primary school is anxiety of kids and there's all these we hear, hear a lot more about it now mental health issues we see prominent people who have had have significant problems um, with that, so all this part of it of the suffering we're experiencing in the world, and and when we are confronted with this, um, it it obviously creates the question as to why. And in the context of our faith and and our representation of God and um, what we believe in the world and encountering people, um, the, the the comment is commonly made that well, you know if. God exists, and if he is a loving God, why does he allow suffering? One of the hardest questions to answer and one of the biggest dilemmas for us to work through. And um, it's not only a a dilemma for us encountering those who aren't believers yet or yet to know Jesus, um, those who are questioning everything that we believe in. It's not only uh, an issue in that context, it's also an issue for believers to explain what is going on in their own lives and you know we all um, I'm sure have been touched by these issues that we see so the why of suffering is the big question isn't it why why are we suffering why do we suffer why do we see all this pain and suffering in the world well to understand that I think we need to go back to the creation of the world and when God created the world he created human beings and he said every time he created something, what did he say? He said, it's good. It was good. Now, we could look at the world today and say there's a lot of not good in the world. But he said it was good. He said everything was good. Then he created human beings. And what did he say to them? You're in charge. You're in charge of this world that I've created. I'm giving you the responsibility of caring for it, making decisions about it, naming animals, the whole thing. Look after the world. You're in charge. And then along came the tempter, the the opposition to God, Satan, and said to these human beings, Adam and Eve, so um, 
you know what, what God's told you you can't do something you know what um, you're missing out you're missing out on here and uh, you know you, you can have a whole lot more if you if you appropriate it yourself if you go off and you do you know you take that fruit and you you know, don't have to follow God I mean he's he's trying to hold back on you and so what do they do they took the fruit that God told them not to and they became aware of sin actually became aware of um, of the opposite to God and that first sin that first bad choice that humans made um, it said you know, it was an act of disobedience well it was an act of disobedience but more I believe it was a lack of trust in God it's where they said we don't trust God God says oh, I've got the best for you I've created this great world and the original human being said well we think we know better than God we don't trust we don't think God has the best for us and by the way we've got this person who's been telling us that and so Adam and Eve made a choice because they were in charge and they made a choice for the world and they chose sin they chose the opposite to God they chose death and if you read um, and we're not going to read it today we're not doing a study on Genesis but if you read Genesis chapter 3 you'll see the consequences of that choice consequence of that choice was a cursed world consequences of that choice was death death physical death, spiritual death. Consequences of the choice was corruption of the good world that God had created. And human beings made that choice. And because they made that choice, they continue, we continue to make those choices. In Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 12, we read, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in the same way this death came to all people, because all have sinned. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's another um, reminder to us all that our choices impact far more than just us. When we make choices, our choices impact many. When we make bad choices, they impact many. And because those original choices were made to neglect God, to not trust Him totally, um, choose sin, choose the alternative to, to live without God really what they were choosing we've inherited that we've inherited this nature and our tendency is not to trust God, our tendency is to make choices independent of God and so the answer to the question why is there suffering in the world because we're in it that's why because we make these choices and we continue to make these choices because Adam and Eve chose corruption over good and we keep repeating these choices so now we're in this world and we've got this explanation it doesn't really help a lot does it when you people are confronted with suffering they say well alright you know when I mean, you can have explained it that way but we're still suffering so is there any purpose in this world at all and what's going on and how do we explain this and what about Christians and suffering okay so this is the big question isn't it now well okay if we re-choose to follow God therefore we should be exempt from suffering because you know we've reversed the decision here and so we have examples of that 
preaching on that. I've heard people say that. Well, if you truly follow Jesus, you get everything right, you say all the right things, then you should have no problems in your life. All your problems will go away. And um, you can not expect to uh, have any illness, you know. And, and I don't know whether you've heard any teaching like that, but that is out there. And ultimately, when people experience the illness and the suffering and everything else, well, how do they explain that? Well, you don't have enough faith. So it's us, you know. And so they use faith as a, as a currency to buy favour with God. And also there are those who say, well, you've got to pray in the right way. You've got to pray in the spirit. You've got to do this. You've got to say these words. And then it's almost like a magic formula. So they're trying to explain why Christians suffer. Why do Christians suffer? In Jesus was asked that question a couple of times too. One example is in John 9. This is what we read. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. So, um, Jesus is asked this question. So why are these people, you know, why is suffering? Why this? He said, well, it wasn't this person's choice and explains in other places that it was Adam and Eve's choice and, and, and this guy obviously didn't say the right words or his parents didn't say the right thing or they didn't have enough faith. This is the, that question that resides in that thinking. Jesus said, well, it wasn't this guy or his parents. This is the consequence ultimately of sin. But there's a purpose in this. And so that I can show you and I can show the world that God exists and has the power over the consequences of sin. That was Jesus' answer. Now, I've had to ask this question of myself a lot because in my role in Youth for Christ, I saw an enormous amount of suffering, persecution of some of the young people who were trying to stand up for Jesus all over the world. And we pray and say, why? Often. Why, God? Why did did this happen? One of those circumstances was this young man um, in Sri Lanka, and then I don't know whether many of you know about the political situation in Sri Lanka. It's, It's different now, but they're... Um, the Sinhalese, which are the majority group, uh, ethnic group, and then the Tamils. And up north is where the Tamil strongholds are, but the Tamils live all throughout um, Sri Lanka. And there was this group called the Tamil Tigers, and there was a civil war going on because they wanted independence, and they were blowing up things all over the place, um, in in Colombo in particular, in the main city. Um, Anyway, uh, it, it was this terrible tension. Well, Youth for Christ had ministry to everyone, Tamils and everything and, and uh, when I went and spoke there in Sri Lanka I often got translated into Sinhalese and into Tamil so it was me speaking in English somebody speaking in Sinhalese and then somebody translating into Tamil as well and often the person translating into Tamil could only understand Sinhalese so it's like you know I don't know what they ended up hearing <laughs> this young man he came to faith Jayaraj and he was a Tamil and he was living in the Colombo area 
and and these people who and then he started reaching everybody in his neighborhood and these and these people who were in the neighborhood who were the influencers and the business leaders and that didn't like it because it was changing their whole corrupt system that they had going there because these people were all been honest and and all these young people were bringing other people to faith and and there was a lot of opposition and then somebody blew up the school in that area and then these people went to the authorities, found the corrupt authority, because they owned some of the authorities, and the police went and arrested this young man and said, you blew up the school, because you're a Tamil. Clearly, you must have blown up the school. And they put him into jail without a trial, and they put him into the, into the jail that they put in all of the um, worst offenders. And then the national director, Ajith Fernando, emailed us all and said, this is what's happened, this is a, a great... A great Injustice, so we need to do pray for this young man, Jayaraj. And so we did. We started praying that God would see justice done. And, and Ajith is a very influential man. Actually, globally, he's an international speaker and he found some lawyers who were very high, highly qualified lawyers and they were trying to agitate and stir and trying to resolve this, but they couldn't. And so he's sending out all these emails. We're praying, oh Lord, please release Jayaraj. Suffering injustice, all this stuff that we say, now how can this happen to a Christian? Why doesn't God intervene? And we would have literally praying for that young man, hundreds of thousands of people globally praying for him. Surely the power of prayer would see this young man released. Well, I just kept sending us letters that said things are getting worse, he just got beaten up, you know, in, in prison. And he, he sent me an email, a personal email once. And he said, I'm really worried about J.R.H. I went in there today and he was in terrible despair. And, and, I, and so I talked to J.R.H. at a later date to ask him, you know, when I'll, I'll tell you what the end of the story is. But he was living in a situation where he was in that one cell with all these other people, 30 or 40, I can't remember, over 30 other people. And it was so packed in this one cell that when they went to sleep at night, they had laid on concrete, they didn't have any bedding or anything, they laid on concrete, and every, every half an hour or an hour or so, they all had to stand up and turn over, otherwise they'd get all these sores. That's how packed they were in that cell. And you see, he went and saw Jairad, and Jairad said, why has God done this to me? I gave my life to him, I said I wanted to serve him, and now he's put me here, and he was in great despair, and he was ready to give everything up. He said, how could a God like that, how could I follow a God like that? And he asked, did you ask for prayer? So we were praying away and then a week later he just sent me an email. He said, it's God's answered our prayers. Um, because I went back to see Jayaraj and he said that night after I'd visited him, Jayaraj actually had a sense that God came and visited him in a dream and said, Jayaraj, why, why are you complaining? You prayed that I would allow you to reach young people who couldn't be reached. And he said, so I'll put you in a place where nobody is able to reach anybody. Here you are in a prison. This is where they're putting all these young people. You're in prison with them. Do your job. And, and he said that was that clear. And he said, Jay Roach has completely turned around in his whole attitude and everything. That was an answer to prayer. Now, we were praying for his release. Well, he totally changed his attitude. And so he asked... Um, Ajith, he said, look, everybody here just needs some soap. Can, can you get some soap? And, and they worked with the prison authorities. They brought soap in. And he started holding Bible studies. He wanted Bibles. And, and he negotiated um, to get Bibles in there. And all these people started coming to faith. And then he organised this great big concert with the Singhalese guards and the Tamil prisoners. And they were all presenting their music. And it was just a wonderful transformation of that whole prison through this young man. 
And then it just starts writing to us. I don't know what to ask you to pray anymore. I don't, want to, I don't know whether I should be asking you to have him released or asking that he'll stay there for his lifetime because he's bringing such blessing to that prison. I mean, that's a different prayer dilemma. Eventually, he was proved, it was proven that the lawyers did prove that he was unjustly treated um, and, and, he, and they did find the person who had done it and so it came the day for his release. So Jith went into that prison and he's walking out with Jairaj and the prison director runs up and says oh, Jairaj do you have to go <laughs> and he said well uh, actually yes <laughs> I can't stay he said well before you go could you come up onto the roof there's some young people up there who have barricaded the roof they're breaking things can you come and talk them down so he said alright I'll go to that and he did he talked them down and as he's walking out the prison director's walking with him and, just, and he said look you don't need to worry I'm going to come back I'm going to come back and I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to keep, if you'll let me, I'm going to come in here and help you with this prison. And so that Christmas, I don't know what you do on Christmas Day, but all the Youth for Christ staff were in that prison on Christmas Day providing Christmas dinner for all those prisoners. What a great way to celebrate Christmas. And then Prison Fellowship heard this story, came to J.R.O. and said, could you start Prison Fellowship in Sri Lanka? And he did. And now prison fellowship is in every prison in Sri Lanka. Now you could say, well that was a terrible thing that happened. And how could a God who loves his people allow that to happen? But through that, I mean it's the story of Jesus, isn't it? Through the greatest, what looks like the greatest defeat, the greatest expression of suffering and injustice, great blessing, great victory comes. Paul Brand um, was a missionary and a surgeon in India and um, he was very, very famous. I don't know if anybody would know him now, but some time ago. But he said this, I've come to see that pain and pleasure come to us not as opposites, but as Siamese twins, strangely, strangely joined and intertwined. Nearly all my memories of acute happiness, in fact, involve some element of pain or struggle. You know what? Pain and suffering provides a contrast that we need to clearly see Jesus. To clearly see Jesus. And what about this verse? For those of you who think Christians shouldn't suffer and we should be completely exempt of all of this pain and what wrong that goes on. So then, those who suffer, this is 1 Peter 4.19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. That's what our response is. So, God's will is that we suffer. I think there's quite a few other verses to talk about too. I won't go into them all, but we have never been promised that as Christians we'll be exempt from suffering. We shouldn't buy people into the kingdom by saying, if you come to Jesus, all your problems will go away. That's not the story of the gospel. In John 15, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So expect persecution. So how do we address this issue then? If, if, if it's going to be the part of our experience and part of the world's experience, an ongoing experience that we have suffering, is it any different you know, for a Christian with regards to suffering than anybody else? And how do we explain it when somebody comes and says, I've suffered all this 
I've, seen, my, I've experienced all this injustice. How do I explain it to somebody when I go over to another country and there's terrible suffering and they've had the whole family killed? How do I explain that to them? How do we explain this in those very difficult situations? Why doesn't God do something about this? Well, I think there's two answers to that. First of all, God does. There's what I call, now I don't know whether this is, this is a word I made up, I mean a, a term I made up, palliative intervention. So I believe there's a palliative intervention of God in the world. And that's, palliative is, I think some of you will know what palliative care is, it's relieving pain without addressing the cause of the condition. Now, when Jesus was confronted with a dead Lazarus, what did he do? He raised him from the dead. But I haven't met Lazarus, so I think he died again. Okay, so he didn't provide a a permanent, long-term, eternal solution for his physical death. And I'm sure Lazarus got sick. It's part of the dying process, isn't it? People get sick, your body breaks down, and I'm sure that he died again. There was this lady in our church when I was first a pastor in Notting Hill. She was a wonderful lady and she got terrible cancer and she was given, I think at one stage it was three weeks, maybe a month to live. The elders, we anointed her with oil, we prayed, we did what the Bible said and and, and the way the, the, the doctors explained was she was miraculously healed. There's no other explanation for this. She lived for another three years and she got a different form of cancer and died. And we prayed for her the whole thing again. So what can you say about it? Well, God intervened. And you know what this lady said when I asked her, well, how do you, when she was completely healed, I said, well, how do you, how do you see that? What's your perspective on that? She said, well, God's got something more for me to do in this world. And for that next three years, she was incredibly strategic in introducing a number of initiatives that saw a lot of people come to Jesus. And then Jesus took her. So you can say, well, hang on a minute. Isn't God meant to... Why can't God do that again? My husband was saying, why can't God do that again? But he didn't. This is this palliative intervention. It was a miracle, but it was palliative. Life is a terminal condition because of the choices I need. We have temporary relief in this life through miraculous intervention often. We see that. It's a promise of things to come when we have a permanent solution. And it demonstrates Jesus' power over death and sin and suffering and pain. He has the power. It does demonstrate that. We see it all the time. We see his intervention. We see people blessed through the suffering. Miracles do happen. Jesus does intervene. But he doesn't provide the permanent intervention. However, there is another concept which I believe we've got to look at in the context of this discussion about suffering and pain, and that's security of intervention, dealing with the cause of the condition. Let's read Romans. Am I going to get Romans? Yes, I am. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one 
trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many were made righteous. This is the curative intervention of God. This is the answer that has been provided through one man, through that choice as we've been talking about, suffering into the world. Through one man we have a permanent solution. So, we're still suffering even though there's this curative intervention of God through Jesus. We're still suffering. How do we explain that? I think this verse helps. The Lord is not slowing in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why doesn't Jesus intervene? Why doesn't God come in and solve this suffering problem? Well, the only way, the only way that could happen is by ending the world. Because Adam and Eve chose for the duration of humanity this suffering. We've just had that explained in Romans. Jesus came and provided an answer to that. And we read in other parts of the Bible, including especially Revelation, how that's going to happen. It's all going to end. But the only way it can happen is for it to all be wound up and a new world and basically a restart. Without sin, without death, without suffering. We're told that in many places in the Bible. That's what's going to happen. There is a curative answer that's already been provided. But why doesn't God do that? So why doesn't God come in and fix everything? Well, he'd have to end the world. And why doesn't he do that? Well, he wants everybody to come to salvation. And in Youth for Christ, where we were trying to reach millions of young people, we used to quite often pray, Lord, just hang on. Can you just just hold off coming back for a while? Because there's so many more millions of young people we want to reach. We want to tell them about you. I think it's a, in some ways it could be a selfish prayer. Lord, just end it all. Take me home to be with you. Well, what about all the people who aren't going to go home to be with Jesus? Why does the Lord hold off? He's promised to provide an end to this. Why does he hold off? Why? Because he's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And because of that, the world goes on and all the people who he wants to see come to faith, which is everyone. Hopefully we'll get an opportunity to do that. So how do we respond then to suffering? Well, I think um, the answer is for us to be a light in the darkness, provide hope, provide a solution to this, to intervene. When Jesus was asked, sum up the whole thing, Lord Jesus, what is it? What is it that we have to do? Can you just sum it up in a couple of words? And he said, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. And then another... He said that sums up all the law and prophets. That's what he, he said that one another time too in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do for others as you have them do for you. This sums up all the law and prophets. This is, this is what you have. If you want to get it down to one, one sentence, this is what I want you to do in the world. And so we should be instruments of relief of suffering we should be the instruments of showing people what God really wanted for this world and we should be the ones to bring 
relief and love and hope into those situations where there is suffering. And how can we do that? Well, there's one of the ways is help Tim care. Tim care encountering many people who are in deep suffering, who have nobody. And what are they called? Women of hope. Um, I consult with a church over in, actually Jenny helps a bit there too, but I, help, I consult with a church over in America. I do, um, I mentor and coach global leaders and um, the largest alliance church in America is called Appleton Alliance Church and um, a number of years ago I, I met the, the pastor of that church and um, he, he was very interested in the book I'd written um, about uh, empowering young people and he said, I want to do that in my church. So he said, could you help me? So that's one of the consultations we do. And he was a person of uh, rising influence in that church movement. And I really wanted to see this applied in, in, a, in a large church. It was a large church. It was about 3,500 people there at that time. I guess that's a large church, maybe not in American terms, but it would be here. <laughs> so, um, so we did. And we worked on that. We worked on that for six years. And one of the things that I would say to these people, any of the organisations I've been helping to empower young people, I said, look, the young people are ready to lead now. They're leaders for today. And first of all, you've got to assess which ones you will let have influence. But once you work out, and I had all these character things that they needed to look at, if you, if they pass this character test, if they, if, if they are showing that they're sold out to Jesus and they have an integrity and the biblical knowledge and all those other things, then you, when they come to you with an idea, you've got to take it as God's idea. Well, he called me up one day and he said, David, this young leader that you, you told me to put into a position of influence has got this crazy idea, he just come and told me about it. And you know what? In America, it's, it's very difficult for people who are poor or don't have a lot of resources to get medical services, basic medical services. About a third of Americans can't do it. It costs $150 just to go and get a consultation with a local GP. If you end up in the emergency department for, for one Session like of three or four hours will cost you at least $10,000. And if you don't have insurance, you've got to find that money. And the first thing they're going to ask you when you end up in the hospital is, how are you going to pay? And if you can't pay, you don't get the services. I've personally experienced that. My son has too. Um, and, and I can tell you many, many stories. So this young man came to Dennis and said, this is an injustice. And they live in an area where about half the people in, our, in the Fox Valley area don't have access to basic medical services and are dying from treatable conditions. There was one woman we heard about who had an illness. She went to the doctor. They, they, they diagnosed what it was and they said it's going to cost, I can't remember, $60,000 to treat you. You'll probably end up with another five to ten years of life. If we don't treat you, you'll die in a number of months. And she chose to die because she said, I'm not going to leave my family without a house and without resources to continue to live. Now, that is an injustice. So, what did this young man? He said, we have got doctors and nurses. We've got space. We should create a free medical clinic for all the people who don't have medical services. Now, you can imagine this pastor said, David, look what you've done to me. What am I meant to do with that? I said, well, is he a person of integrity? Is he... Yes, yes, but it's a crazy idea. So what do, what do you think you should be doing? He said, I know I should. Anyway, he said, he said, went back to the young guy. He said, right, go ahead. Go on, but you have to raise all this money. And then he 
called me up another week later and said, well, he's not going to work, not going to work. He went out and tried to raise money. Nobody wanted to see him. I said, Dennis, you know what some of the older leaders tend to do? They set young people up to fail. And they say, see? I said, what did you do? You sent him out. No, he's got no leverage with these people. You need to go with him. Oh, yeah. I probably... Off he went. Anyway, end of that story is that they did form this... Oh, he went to his board. So Dennis got convinced that this was something to do. He went to his board and he told his board this is what they were going to do. And this is what one of the board members said. You can't do that. And Dennis said, why not? He said, we'll end up with all these sick people in our church. I wonder if he'd read the Bible. So they did. They started the Hope Medical Clinic. And it was hope for free was the byline. Hope for free. And they provide medical services to everybody who is uninsured or underinsured in the Fox Valley. Now, that is just absolutely taken off. And, and if you just go and type Hope Medical Clinic Appleton, you, you can see all the services that they provide. In fact, they outgrew the church and they've actually rented this other great massive place and all these volunteers. Now, you know how many people are in that church? 10,000 now. 10,000 people in that church and they are providing these services and it's exemplary and it's been looked at from people all over America. So what did they do? They didn't say, oh well, you know, suffering and pain, we can't do anything about that. You know, we just got to live with it until Jesus comes back. Well, they said, this is an injustice and it took a young man to see it, to see the injustice and to be light, to provide the light of Jesus in that situation. And there are ways in which we can all do that, that we can love others as we love ourselves and do for others as we want them to do for us. If I was uninsured and I was living in America, I'd want to have a free clinic I could go to and take my kids to. If I'd thought like that, and if we all thought like that, we would bring a lot of light into this world of suffering. That's what we can do about it. So what can we do about suffering? We can intervene. We can be the light in the darkness. The leading organisations in the world that are providing relief to millions and millions, actually hundreds of millions of people, are Christian organisations. World Vision, Compassion, International Justice Mission, Tear Fund, Samaritan's Purse, Food for the Poor, Salvation Army, Habitat for Humanity, Children's Hunger Fund, all the denominational relief agencies and TempCare. And, and Tim here, the face of Jesus. There, I, I, I can change it. That's what face. That's why she said face. It's the face of Jesus to these people. We're told by Jesus to pray that His kingdom will come. I've talked about this here before. Not in the future. May Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When the kingdom comes, the kingdom comes when we provide, respite, care, support. When we when we stand against the powers of evil. And we relieve suffering in this world. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for coming and providing the curative answer to the suffering and pain we see in this world today. But Lord, you've asked us to stand up for you and be counted uh, in the context of enormous suffering and pain. And Lord, help us to see you in all of this. But Lord, also, Lord, help us to see us in it and where we are required by you 
to make a difference, to be the light in the darkness. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.